You're listening to the Inglewood College Podcast. Inglewood College is a ministry of Inglewood Baptist Church in Jackson, Tennessee. We believe that just because this season is temporary doesn't mean it can't be deeply transformative. Love God. Love people. Serve the world. We're going to continue our series tonight on, uh, you know, so you're a Christian, now what? And, uh, you know, the first two weeks we've covered some basics, right? We covered, um, gosh, we covered what, what are we supposed to do as a Christian? We covered uh, how do you deal with ongoing sin struggles. And one of the things that we mentioned last week as we were talking about how to deal with ongoing sin struggles was uh, two different spiritual natures. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more tonight. But kind of brought up the topic of the Holy Spirit, which is where we're going tonight. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit and specifically trying to answer the question that, okay, so now you're a Christian. You're a Christian, now what? You know, what is the Holy Spirit doing in me? Like, what is the Holy Spirit doing in me? And, uh, you know, there's so much mystery around the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of mystery around the Trinity. Okay, so when you think of, like, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And sometimes there's, like, so much mystery, so much confusion about it that we don't want to think about it. It would be easier just to avoid thinking about it altogether than have to deal with some of the questions that we have and the fact that we can't really get some answers to some of those things. And there's no... There's no way that we can try to visualize how the Trinity works. Uh, you know, we have the Father, we have the Son, Holy Spirit, and sometimes we just don't want to deal with trying to explain, and maybe sometimes it just feels easier to just take a step back and say, you know what, this is a mystery. And oftentimes we don't think a whole lot about it. And actually, we often forget the Holy Spirit altogether. We know we're praying to the Father. We know that Jesus died on the cross to save us. Um, and we, you know, that the Holy Spirit is just an afterthought. And there's a guy named Francis Chan who wrote a book called Forgotten God, and it was all about the Holy Spirit. And it kind of like captures that mindset of we kind of forget about the Holy Spirit. We don't really think a whole lot about him. And so tonight, you know, to start, we need to answer, well, who is he? Who is the Holy Spirit? And we're not going to go deep enough to really explain enough where all of your hard questions might be answered. Uh, we're going to keep it pretty simple in describing who he is. Okay, he's, he's God. So the Holy Spirit is God. He is the third person of the Trinity. That's how we often speak of him. It doesn't mean that he's any less than the other two. We have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We just think of him as okay, the third, third part of the Trinity. It doesn't mean he has any less value. It simply means actually that he proceeds from the Father and the Son. And so we could try to explain the whole Trinity and get into it. But uh, you know, tonight we're just focusing on the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see what Jesus said about him here. So... Uh, John chapter 14, we're going to read a little bit from John chapter 14 and a little bit from John chapter 16 to get started. Okay, so John chapter 14, Jesus has this to say about the Holy Spirit. This is the night before he would go to be crucified. He tells his disciples this in John chapter 14, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then on down in verse 23, he says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He's saying the Spirit is someone that the disciples already knew because it is the Spirit of Jesus. And so what Jesus is saying to them is that, you know, you know him. He dwells with you right now, but will be in you. And he's saying when the Holy Spirit comes to the picture, 
is always in tandem with the Father and the Son. Because he goes there in verse 23, and he says, if anyone loves me, I'll keep my word. The Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So when the Holy Spirit comes into us, it is the Father and the Son as well, because they are one. Right? So we think of it as the Holy Spirit coming to live within us, but no member of the Trinity does anything on their own, by themselves, in a silo from, away from the other two. And so we know that the Holy Spirit is God. And then we go on to two chapters later in John 16, verses 13 through 15, and Jesus continues on. Same discourse. He's explaining things to the disciples before he's going to go to the cross. He says in 13 through 15, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak. And he'll declare to you the things that are to come. He'll glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father is mine, all the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So we see Jesus talking about the Spirit proceeding forth from the Father and the Son, and that whatever he does is going to be declaring what comes from the Father and the Son. So he is God. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. And it may be hard to understand exactly what that means, but that is the language that we tend to use when we start talking about the Holy Spirit. But we also know this, that when we put our faith in Jesus, we receive this Holy Spirit. So that is when it comes in. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's saying the Holy Spirit's going to come. They have already believed on Jesus' word. They've already believed in him, put faith in Jesus. He says, when I go to the Father, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. But for us, those who have believed based on the testimony of those witnesses, you know, when we come to faith in Christ, then we receive the Holy Spirit. You know, so Jesus is talking to his disciples there, saying that the Spirit would come to them, but not to the world on account of unbelief. So those who do not believe do not receive the Holy Spirit, but those of us who do believe do receive the Holy Spirit. You know, I think sometimes we talk to kids about accepting Jesus into their hearts. Maybe that was the language that was used with you when you were a kid and you were growing up and they were like, would you like to receive Jesus into your heart? Uh, and of course, what little kid isn't going to say, yeah, yeah, I, wanna, I want Jesus to be in my heart. But really what we're talking about when we're saying receiving Jesus into our heart is, is we want to place our faith in Jesus and then Jesus sends his spirit into our hearts and our lives and our minds and our whole selves. So yes, in a way, Jesus is coming in with the spirit, but it's also, I want to be clear about these things. Jesus is the one who has accomplished salvation for us, but it's his Holy Spirit that comes to live within us. And so how do we know that Jesus has actually done this? How do we know that Jesus has actually sent his spirit? Well, he said also in John chapter 16, verse 7, he said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus said, I'm going to do this. If I, if I go to do what I'm about to do, I'm going to send him to you. And, and I take notice of that wording. If I go, if I go, I will send him to you. Where is he going? You know, obviously, we know what's coming up next, right? Right before this, in John chapter 14, at the beginning of that, you know, what he's walking through with them, he said he goes to prepare a place for them. You know, he's going to the Father to prepare a place for them, but how is he going to go there? How is he going to the Father? <clears throat> and we know that how he's going is through death and resurrection. He's going through death and resurrection. And what he's saying, I think, when he says this, if I, if I go where I'm going, then I'll send him to you. And I think what he's trying to say is like, if I go through what's ahead, I will be able to send the Spirit to you. If I go through death and resurrection and ascend to the Father, then I can send the Holy Spirit to you. Otherwise, salvation won't be accomplishable for you 
and you won't be able to receive the Holy Spirit. If I remain here, he's saying, I can't send the helper to you. But if I go through what I'm about to go through, then I can send him to you. And then when you believe, you know that the Holy Spirit will actually come into our lives. And then we know that the Holy Spirit has come into our lives if we begin to see the effects of him at work in us. We begin to see the effects of him at work in us, which is what we're going to try to get at tonight. What is he doing in me? How do I know that he has started doing something and, and he's continuing doing something in me? One major thing, and I'm not going to say it's the only thing, I'm not going to say it's the main thing, but there is one major thing that I know for a fact that he is doing in you. The Holy Spirit enables us to put to death the deeds of the flesh and walk in accordance with God's will. The Holy Spirit enables us to put to death the deeds of the flesh and walk in accordance with God's will. Remember last week we talked about, you know, like I mentioned before, the competing natures that we have? Last week we were talking about, why do I still deal with ongoing sin and struggles against sin? And we talked about having a fleshly nature within us, a sin nature that is, uh, you know, bent on fulfilling its desires in sinful ways. But then as believers, now we're talking about a Holy Spirit coming into us, and this Holy Spirit is bringing a new nature into the picture. So we have a fleshly nature that is sinful. We also have a spiritual nature that is brought on by the Spirit, and those two things are in conflict And remember we talked about Romans chapter 7, where Paul, one of the original apostles, he wrote so many letters in the New Testament, he wrote Romans, and he's talking about his own struggle against sin and how those two natures were at work. Well, I want us to read together Romans 8, 1 through 13, to see what follows up what he's talking about. So he's talking about that struggle going on, but then he makes these declarations in Romans chapter 8. And here's here's a fair warning for you guys tonight. We're going to read a lot of scripture. Okay, if you didn't show up for scripture, I'm sorry. Um, if you showed up to hear wise words from Sean, there aren't a ton. And so the thing is, honestly, scripture needs to tell us who the Holy Spirit is. If I try to stand up here and explain to you who the Holy Spirit is and what he's doing in our lives, and I try to just use the best words that I possibly could, it would still fall short of what scripture can do for itself. And so we want to listen to what the, the Lord says. What, it, what the Lord tells us about the Holy Spirit. So we're going to read several, several passages tonight. We're going to look at several different scriptures. And uh, I don't normally love doing that. I, I normally like to take one passage of scripture and just like break that thing down. Um, but tonight we're going to be looking at a lot of things because I feel like there's a lot of scriptures that speak into this question of, of what is the Holy Spirit doing in me? And so we're going to look here. We've already looked at John 14, John 16. We're going to look at Romans 8 and go 1 through 13. So... Romans 8, chapter 1, starting in ver- or chapter 8, starting in verse 1. There's therefore, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Romans 8, 1 through 13. It's declaring to us that we are set free in Christ based on what he has done. We are set free in Christ from the law of sin and death, set free from condemnation, set free from shame. And this freedom he's talking about is coming through the Spirit. And so, yes, it's coming through what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. There's no way we're going we're gonna to have no condemnation unless we are in Christ Jesus, right? But it's his Spirit that is in us that is bringing us to life and giving us freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And what we're talking about here is that freedom from sin and death hanging over us. Freedom from the fear of sin and death hanging over us. Freedom from condemnation, freedom from fear of death, freedom from shame. And not only that, but freed from obligation or slavery to sin. I don't know if you guys realize that, but if you are not in Christ, you are still under the law of sin and death, still under fear of sin and death, and you are bound to sin. There's no way around it. You are what Scripture says, a slave to sin. Here's what Romans 6 says. So earlier in the book uh, of Romans 6, 16 through 18 says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. At one point in time, Every one of us, before knowing Christ, before having the Holy Spirit, we were slaves to sin. But now, because of what Jesus has done, and the Spirit working out life in us, we are now free from that obligation to sin. Not only are we free from the obligation or slavery to sin, we are free to actually live for Jesus. We can do that. If all you had was the sin nature, you wouldn't be able to please God. That's what it says in verse, in verse 8. That one's, that one's a striking one, a hard one. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you only had a sin nature, you could not please the Lord. But because we have received the Holy Spirit, now we have an opportunity to actually live according to God's will. We have an opportunity to actually honor God and bring glory to God or glorify him and and honor his name. Real obedience to God's commands is possible once the Spirit has come in. And he begins to bear fruit of obedience in us. And that takes us to Galatians 5. Galatians 5, another well-known passage probably to you guys. Uh, At least part of it is going to be. Galatians 5, we're going to start in verse 16. We're going to go through 25. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those those are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Right there, in verse 16 and 17, we're talking about, that's what we were talking about earlier. Really well spelled out right here, that the desires of the flesh up against the desires of the sin, keeping you from doing what you want. Both keeping you from fulfilling your desires in sinful ways, because the Holy Spirit's at work in you, but then that desires of the flesh are working against your love for the Lord. So those two things are in conflict. But then he goes on, says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. We're really familiar with the fruit of the Spirit from that passage, but maybe we don't pay as much attention to the context. But notice how Paul says, you know, the, the ways that he's, he's talking, it sounds like we have a choice in the matter, that we're not destined now that we have the Holy Spirit to give in to the flesh the way we would have been. He talks like, he's saying, if you're alive by the Spirit, then keep in step with the Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. Fulfill, uh, you know, don't fulfill the desires of the flesh, but walk with the Spirit and let him bear this fruit in you. And he says that actually if you'll walk by the Spirit and live by the Spirit, then you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Because there's real power in the Spirit over sin. There's real power in you, if the Spirit is in you, to overcome sin. There's nothing that you are bound to continue to do once you have the Holy Spirit in you. And according to verse 24, the flesh has actually already been crucified in those who belong to Christ. Again, that's not to say that we're not going to ever sin again once we have the Holy Spirit. But it is to say that we're not bound to sin, that sin and its power has been defeated from over us because we have the life of the Holy Spirit in us and the, and the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And to the contrary, you know, the Spirit, in the Spirit, we're actually bound to bear good fruit. There's no way that if you have the Holy Spirit, you're not going to eventually begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit. If you never, ever see any of the fruit of the Spirit in your life, there's a good chance you didn't have the Spirit. Because the Spirit is going to bear these good fruit. You know, and just a thought on this fruit, by the way, these are the kinds of things that you would expect the Spirit of God to produce in you. You know, you go down to the list, these are the kinds of things that you would expect Him to produce. Because these are the things that kind of reflect God's character and who He is. Right? And so if you were uh, not to see these things, then it would be hard to understand how God could be in you. Or if you weren't growing in these things. And if you're not seeing any of these things, then it's unlikely that, that the work of the Spirit is happening in you. That's not to say that you can't struggle with some of them more than others. But I think he does bring about these things. And, you know, this list of stuff is not the only fruit that the Spirit is producing. Yeah, these are things that are going to characterize us if we have the Holy Spirit eventually more and more and more as we grow in our faith. But I think all of our obedience, obedience to all of God's commands, not just these characteristics, these are things that will characterize who you are, characterize your actions, but actually obeying the law of God and, and God's commands is something that we're going to do if we have the Holy Spirit. If you look at John 15, verse 5, it comes right between the, the two passages that we read at the beginning. Jesus says to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And right around this verse, he's talking about obeying God's commands, saying, if you, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And he's saying right here that if, if you will abide in me and I in you, and I think he's talking about the Holy Spirit because he's just talked about the Holy Spirit in the chapter before. He's talking about the Holy Spirit in the chapter after. So when he says, hey, if I abide in you, you're going to bear much fruit. You're going to obey. You're going to do things that come in line with God's will. And so there's no obedience. You know, you come at the end of that verse, and it's, there's no obedience coming from us apart from being connected to Jesus through his Holy Spirit. But we are if we're believers. So we obey, and it's the Holy Spirit that is enabling us to do that. So that was the first point. I want to go back to that first point. I want, I want us to see this again, the wording of that. The Holy Spirit enables us to put to death the deeds of the flesh and walk in accordance with God's will. 
Again, I'm not saying this is the main thing he does. I'm just saying this is a big thing that he does in us. And now I want to talk about how. How does he accomplish those things? How does the Holy Spirit go about helping us put to death the deeds of the flesh and to live according to God's will? Well, here's the first thing. The Holy Spirit is our source of spiritual life. The Holy Spirit is a source of spiritual life for us. You may have heard about our being spiritually dead and then being made spiritually alive. Ephesians 2 talks about this, about how we were spiritually dead before we knew Christ and that how uh, God being rich in his mercy has brought us to life, you know, through Christ. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. If we go back to Romans 8, if I can find that, my page doesn't fly away. Uh, it's literally a page out of my Bible. Apparently, I read Romans 8 a lot because it's torn out. Um, if you go back to chapter 8, verse 2, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from, uh, from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life. And then in verse 10 and 13, it talks about the spirit being life in us, about how he's going to give life to our bodies. By the spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body and live. It's because we have spiritual life in us that we can do these things. And by the way, God had been planning to bring spiritually dead people to life for a long time by sending the Spirit. Look at what he says in prophecy in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He's been planning this for a long time, forever even, to be able to give his Holy Spirit to us and bring us to life and give us a new heart so that we might actually obey what he has done. So he's our spiritual life, source of spiritual life for us. He also, the Holy Spirit, communicates truth from the Father and the Son. We read earlier in John 16 that the Spirit will take what comes from the Father and declare it to us. He'll take what comes from the Son and declare it to us. He also said in John 14, verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And he would. He would go on later to remind the disciples of the things that happened, the things that they experienced so that they could write the Gospels and write the letters of the New Testament. And it's the Spirit who inspired all of the Scriptures. So the Spirit was bringing to remembrance the things that the disciples wrote down, okay, and then the, the testimonies that we have, but he also inspired all the Scriptures. If you look at a place like 2 Peter 1.21, says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what was inspiring and bringing about these, the words of Scripture that we have. The things that we're reading about from Paul and the things that we're reading back from John, these are the Spirit communicating truth to us. And he takes the Scriptures and reveals them to us so that we can understand them. You ever read something in Scripture and be like, I don't, I don't get that. I don't understand what's going on here. A lot of times we just move on, right, to the next thing because um, we don't know what else to do with, with some of the Scriptures, right? But as we grow in the Spirit, as we grow in our faith, we will understand more and more of what the Scriptures are saying and, and what they're trying to get at. Look at this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 12, says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that man which is in him? Also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Think about that for a second. 
we wouldn't even be able to comprehend the word of God at all if it were not for the spirit of God's help. It would be beyond us. It would be thoughts that, that are unlike our thoughts. We'd be what 1 Corinthians 2 uh, in another spot says, natural. We'd be just natural men and women. We wouldn't be able to think spiritual things. Praise be to the spirit that he helps us understand the word of God, that we're not alone in our attempts to read God's word and actually get something out of it. You're not alone in that. It's not a, a foregone conclusion that you're never going to be able to understand God's word. And really what the Spirit is doing as he opens our minds to the Scriptures is he's pointing us to Jesus in every single spot. You know, you may have heard before that all the Scriptures point to Jesus, that it's all about him. It's a story that centers around this narrative of what he has done for us, right? We'll look at John 15, 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Yeah, the Scriptures all point to him because the Holy Spirit is taking the Scriptures and he's pointing us to Jesus in every single spot. And as he does that, we're transformed by it. As he continues to show us Jesus in the word, how can we not be changed? He changes us through this word. I want to show you this, 2 Corinthians 3.18. We read 3.17 earlier, now we're going to read 3.18. It says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed to the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is pointing us to the Lord in every single context, every single scripture, he's he's trying to constantly remind us of these things and bring back to our our minds what Jesus has done. He's always pointing us to Jesus to make us more like him. We will not put sin to death or obey the will of God if we don't continually come back to Jesus, continually come back to the gospel, what he has done, who he is and what he's done. It's like we talked about last week, unless love of God grows in us, we're gonna have a hard time pushing out love for things of the world. Good luck trying to, to defeat the desires of the flesh and to stop sin without growing in love for God. So the Holy Spirit is trying to do that. He's trying to show us, point us back to Jesus. He's reminding us of the truth so that we might put to death the deeds of the flesh and walk according to God's will. The Holy Spirit also convicts our hearts about sin, judgment, and righteousness. That was John uh, 16, 8 through 11 that we read earlier. States these things clearly, that he convicts the world about sin, judgment, and righteousness. He takes the truth of God's word and brings it to bear on our hearts and minds. It's like shining a light into the darkness to reveal what's actually there. And that's something that he does for unbelievers. You know, think about this. The Holy Spirit is the one who takes what's true from God and reveals it to us so that we may understand. He's also the one that must bring us from spiritual life to spiritual, from, from spiritual death to spiritual life. The Holy Spirit is deeply involved in every person who comes to faith. He is the one who must show them the truth. He must open their eyes to be able to see it and bring them from spiritual death to spiritual life. He is the one who opens eyes. He's the one who convicts of sin. He reveals the Father's love and and the invitation to come to him. And then he ignites that response of, of saving faith, right? That moves us from spiritual death to life. But not only does he convict lost people of sin, He also convicts us of sin. He reveals to us our sin. He helps us to see. He shines that light on us and reveals those things that still need to be repented of. He exposes the deeds of the darkness that are in us. Those deeds of the flesh, the things that we need to turn from, he continues to reveal more and more of of that to us. It brings up the idea of the conscience. You guys ever like, who in here had a strong conscience as a kid? You always felt real bad every time you did something wrong. Anybody? Who, who didn't? They were like, you know, that's fine. Spank me, mom, dad. It doesn't matter. Yeah. 
So this idea of conscience is a, is a funny one. It's kind of a confusing, a confusing thing. I was listening to this podcast, and I do that a lot, right? I was listening to this podcast, and they were talking about conscience. And they were talking about collective moral compasses, more or less, and like consciences of whole people groups and stuff. And it was interesting. They were talking about conscience as, as if it were something that is, is not really based on uh, any kind of objective moral truth necessarily. That the conscience convicts based on whatever standard we have for what's acceptable. So you live in a culture where something that we would say is clearly sin is acceptable, you wouldn't feel bad about doing that thing that we would call sin but is culturally acceptable in your people group or whatever, or in, in your circles. So it's like a, con- a conscience can't necessarily be trusted to always tell you what is right and what is wrong because it really is only convicting you based on a standard of, of what you've already agreed is acceptable or not acceptable. But when you have the Holy Spirit, And when he comes and he writes the law on our hearts, like we read earlier in Ezekiel 36, when he begins to write that law on our hearts, we now have a new standard thereby which we must be convicted. Thereby which our conscience can take and and use that new standard that we have accepted and say, hey, I know this is God's will for my life. I know these things are sin. I know these things are things I ought to do. And he has that new standard that's written into us. And so, yeah, as as a Christian, as a believer, yeah, I hope our consciences are living according or, or are judging us, more or less, by the standard of God's word because that is what is written on our heart. And the Spirit does, he takes that word and he applies it to us so that we recognize sin more and more readily in our lives as we grow, as we grow in our awareness of the Spirit. And listen, as I've matured as a believer, and I'm not saying I'm, I've reached the end, you know, there's way more for me, for me to grow in. But as I've grown as a believer, I've recognized way more sin in my life. There were some things that were more obvious to me you know, say back in the day. Like, okay, these are obvious sins in my life, and I knew I needed to put those things to death. Well, listen, as you grow as a believer, God's going to keep revealing more and more and more things, things that were more subtle, things that were more motivation-driven, things that you would have over- overlooked in the past because you were focused on other things. But man, he does. He reveals these things. He convicts, of us, uh, convicts us of sin based on God's word that he's written into our hearts. And in this way, the Holy Spirit leads. The Holy Spirit leads. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 143. Psalm 143 verse 10 says, Teach me to do your will, for you're my God. Let your spirit lead me on level ground. Let your spirit lead me on level ground. And sometimes that's my prayer. It's like, God, will you just lead me on level ground? And he desires to. He wants to lead us into all righteousness. And the thing is, like, are we ready to be led? Yes, he would lead us. Are we ready to be led? Are we willing to be led? Pastor Adam a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning, talked about uh, James 1.19. And he said, it's that verse of, of be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And he was talking about the context, how in the context it makes most sense to read that as like, we want to be quick to listen to the word of God. Slow to speak in response to that, or like letting it sort of sink in. And I think this is a good word for us, that we need to, if we're going to be led by the Holy Spirit, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Sometimes we come to the Lord in our prayers and we just blurt out all these things that are going on in our lives and we don't ever take time to just sit and listen, ponder, think, meditate on Scripture. And I think if we sat with the Word a little bit more, we might actually experience some leading of the Holy Spirit. And you, you may ask the question, like, how do I know if something's the Holy Spirit? You know, if, if, if I'm feeling a prompting to do something, how do I know if that's the Holy Spirit? Does it line up with Scripture, for one? If it doesn't, 
If it doesn't line up with what you're reading in Scripture or the conviction that you're feeling from Scripture, then it probably isn't the Holy Spirit. We need to take time to listen and to evaluate our thoughts by the Word of God and maybe through other people around us who can help us to see clearly what God is saying to us in His Word, the wisdom from His Word, so that we might actually discern where the Holy Spirit is leading. I think sometimes we don't pay attention to the Holy Spirit. We don't, we don't think the Holy Spirit's doing anything in our lives because we're not paying any attention to Him. Maybe if we actually sat and said, I want you to lead me, help me, help me to see these things, and then we went into the Word and actually read and studied and thought and meditated on these things, and yeah, maybe we would be more led by the Holy Spirit. That would be more of our experience because He would lead us. The Holy Spirit also intercedes for us. Romans 8, 26 Likewise, the Spirit helps, in us, helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Earlier we talked about from 1 Corinthians 2 that the Holy Spirit knows the mind and the heart of God. That's how he can relay the message of the Scriptures to us. Well, he also knows our heart. He knows everything that's going on with our heart and our minds. He knows us deeply. He knows the Father deeply. Who better to fill up our prayers where they're lacking? Who better to be there with us? I, I read that like he's getting in on our groanings. We don't groan alone. We don't pray through things and deal with our weaknesses alone. He is right there with us. Based on a verse like this, you are never alone. If you are in Christ, you're, you're Christians, so now what? Well, you're never alone. The Holy Spirit is always with you. And he's always filling up your prayers where they're lacking. Sometimes I depend on that. Sometimes I even ask him for that. When I'm praying, I'm like, Holy Spirit, I know I don't know how to pray as I ought to pray. Will you just fill up my prayers where they're lacking? I know they're lacking somewhere. Will you just, will you help me? And I believe that he does based on a scripture like that. And not only that, the Holy Spirit reminds us who we are. He reminds us who we are. Romans 8, again, because we love it, right? 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. We're no longer, <clears throat> we're no longer slaves to fear. That's a, a song lyric, right? We're no longer slaves to fear. I'm a child of God, right? And it's coming right from this verse. That's the inspiration for this, right? We're no longer slaves to fear. We're no longer slaves to our sinful natures. We're no longer defined by the things that the rest of the world might try to define us by. We're not defined by those things. The things that matters about us most is that we are in Christ, that we are united with him, and that now we're heirs with him. It's a really interesting thing. I, I debated whether or not to even bring this up. I was reading... Uh, Some Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that work or not, but in there, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. How does this work? And he's talking about the Trinity and trying to explain stuff, which is, again, kind of, you know, anytime you try to explain, you're going to probably go beyond what you should because let's stick to what the Scriptures say. But he's talking about the Father and the Spirit and how they have this relationship and what proceeds out of their relationship is the Holy Spirit. I was like, man, that's kind of an interesting thought to think that, Okay, the love that the Father and the Son have for one another, it itself, the relationship that they have, is a spirit. And that is the Holy Spirit. And so he's a third person. And then it's like C.S. Lewis is talking about how when we're united with Christ, 
It's like Christ is bringing us into that relationship so that we have the same kind of relationship that the Son has with the Father. And so we have the Spirit. Having the Spirit is like us having the same kind of relationship that Jesus has with the Father. That's a crazy, a crazy thought, a little bit mind-blowing to me. And it may be, again, going beyond the bounds of what Scripture actually tells us about the Holy Spirit and about what this relationship looks like. But I know for a fact we are united with Christ, and we do have the Holy Spirit, and it's like God is with us, and we do have this kind of relationship with the Father like Jesus has with the Father. Because we too are called sons and daughters of God. And not only that, but the Holy Spirit, it says, is reminding us of that. That he is at work in us all the time to remind us who we are. Saying, this is the core thing about you. Don't allow that other thing to tell you who you are. Don't allow those desires to tell you who you are. Don't allow the world to try to define you. Don't even try to define yourself. Look here, you're a son or daughter of the king. Let that be who you are. And he reminds us of these things. We, we could go on and talk so, you know, several other things about the Holy Spirit, what he does. We could talk about, you know, related to what we were just saying, about how he's a, a seal for us, like a guarantee of our future hope that we're going to have this inheritance with Christ. You know, that, that as long as we have him, we have hope of eternal life. We could also talk about spiritual giftings, about how he elevates abilities in each one of us uh, or brings new abilities into our lives when we come to faith so that we might build up the work of the church. We could go into that. We could talk about that. We don't really have time for that. But I want you to know that right now the Holy Spirit's at work readying you to play a role in his kingdom and to fulfill his purposes. Not only is he readying you to fulfill his purposes, he's already probably using you in ways that you may not even be aware of right now for his purposes. And the list of scriptures that we could have looked at tonight was long, and the list that we did look, look at was long anyways. But the point of focusing so much on it is to say, look, you're really not alone in this. It's not your power that's going to have to overcome temptation and obey what God says. It's his power in you. And it's to say that you don't walk through these trials alone. You have someone right there, the very presence of God with you all the time that you don't have to worry about whether or not you'll understand the scriptures when you get in there. You can trust that the Holy Spirit's gonna keep opening your eyes to understanding things more and more. You can trust his work in you. And I love what Paul says in Philippians 1.6, I don't have it on the screen, but it says that he who began a good work in you is gonna be faithful to complete it. If the Holy Spirit's at work in any way right now, I promise you, he's gonna keep working until you are like Christ. It may not happen fully in this life, but man, when you go to be with him, you'll be made perfectly like him when you see him as he is. And you have more than you need already right there with you and in you to live for the Lord, to live out this life as a Christian. So you're a Christian, now what? And the Holy Spirit is at work doing some amazing things in you. How amazing is it that we have a God that would want to bring us to himself and unite us to himself in such a personal way? I find that to be an amazing thing. 